This is The Blood Doctor Show On a Wednesday And it is Sports Wednesday And it is a Blunt Doctor Infuriation Wednesday And it is a day that I'm not going to let go Because I am mad, I am angry, I am frustrated And it is specifically with the National Basketball Association And the way that they vote for All-Stars And I want to preface all of this by saying that I understand That there are more important things on this planet going on at all times that I understand that this is simply about basketball and that it is not important. I understand all of those things. And that is fantastic and it is fine and it is agreeable to everyone. But this still pisses me the fuck off that not only did Devin Booker not get voted in as a starter, which I can accept given that the first... 18 Suns games were rough. Fine. I can acknowledge that we have to be real about the entirety of the whole season. I can understand that. But I cannot, under any fucking circumstances, understand how Devin Booker was left off the all star reserve list. This is bullshit. This is garbage. This is trash. This is nonsense. This is tomfoolery. This is shenanigans. This is... I don't even know what other... What else is there? I don't know. Sean Spencer would have an entire list of things that this is. And it is all of them. This is garbage. I can't believe this. This is nonsense. This all essentially came down to Zion Williamson. Who is a forward for a losing team. Who is been forced on the league and its fans over and over and over who has a net rating that would indicate that as good as he is on offense and as much as everyone loves to talk about how he's like Shaq and he dunks the ball and he's so good around the rim and 62% and blah 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 despite all the good things he does on offense he's so phenomenally horrendous on defense that his net rating is zero 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 do you know what zero is it means zero So, for years, I've been told that Devin Booker wasn't an all-star because the Suns didn't win. Well, the Suns are 20 and fucking 10. That's goddamn winning. For years, I was told that Devin Booker wasn't an all-star because he didn't play defense. Well, guess what? Zion is one of the worst defensive players ever right now. For years, I was told that Devin Booker wasn't an all-star because of blah, 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 blah. All you do is move the fucking goalposts. The Suns are 20 and fucking 10. They're one of the best few teams in the league, like one of the best five teams in the league. The reason for that is Booker and Chris Paul. And yet somehow Devin Booker gets left off because Zion Williamson is a favorite of the NBA. I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this bullshit. I don't care about market. I don't care about this. I don't care about that. Zion Williamson He's on a losing team, and he is a losing player right now. That doesn't mean he's going to be a losing player for his career. That doesn't mean that he is a net negative for his career, but it means that right now, when he's on the court, he doesn't provide anything. Sure, he's really great at dunking, but he's so horrendously bad on defense that all of the incredible things he does on offense are completely negated 
by the fact that he lets people walk to the basket. You can't be a six foot four center. You could be a six foot four power forward if you could chase guys around the perimeter, if you had range like he did at Duke, but he doesn't have that right now. And it's okay. Maybe he's not in shape. Maybe he's not healthy. That's fine. But he shouldn't be an all-star over a person who actually is contributing at an all-star level to his team, to a winning team. And for all the years that Devin Booker was cut down for not winning and blah, blah, this, that, and the other, now that he's actually winning, the coaches put in a person who doesn't deserve to be there. This is bullshit. And I've had so many people come to me and say, well, don't worry. Anthony Davis is going to be removed because he's injured. And so Devin Booker will be put in for the second years in a row as an injury replacement. Isn't that fantastic that no one respects Devin Booker at all but you? And he'll get put in as an injury replacement by the league? No, that's not fucking fantastic. It's not fucking fantastic that everyone doesn't fucking understand how good of a player this person is. And it pisses me the fuck off. And I'm tired of hearing this bullshit. And I'm tired of the fact that Zion Williamson, for all the talent that he has, all of his flaws get completely ignored and he gets voted in because the NBA puts him on television all the fucking time. Did DeAndre Ayton get 40 national television games as a rookie? No, he didn't. But Zion Williamson did. And did Zion Williamson participate in the majority of those games? No, he sure didn't. And was he good in the bubble? No, he sure wasn't. But that didn't stop the NBA from putting him on primetime all the time and promoting him constantly when he is literally a net negative. It's it's infuriating. It it I don't... None of this is against Zion. Zion is a phenomenally talented kid, and maybe he'll be great. Maybe he will. But I've had to sit here and watch Devin Booker be cut down for all the reasons that people are now saying don't matter in relation to Zion Williamson. And that is bullshit. It's garbage. It's infuriating. And I don't care how anyone feels about it. I don't care what anyone says about that. Let it go. It's just an all-star. Those same people are celebrating right now because Julius Randle was chosen in the East. And that's fine. Julius Randle's been awesome this year. This year. There are so many people, including Kurt Heelan, from NBC Basketball Talk or whatever stupid site he's from, saying that previous seasons matter in terms of the All-Star vote. No, they fucking don't. What matters is this season, the games in this season. Devin Booker is one of the best players on one of the five best teams in the league, and somehow he's not good enough to make it. Are you fucking kidding me? And yet there are people talking about Mike Conley. Well, his plus minus is near the top. Yeah, okay. Because he's tied with Rudy Gobert. So his statistics don't matter. But only his wins matter. So when Devin Booker was putting up stats, you need to have statistics and wins. But now that Mike Conley is putting up wins but no statistics, he's an all-star? Fuck this. The goalposts move constantly. And they move in favor of the national media's favorite players. And when Mike Conley was on the Grizzlies, a bunch of national media people, Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz and Kevin Pelton, and all of them at the top of it would sit here and talk constantly about how Mike Conley should be an all-star. And no one voted him an all-star. 
even though he was a deserving all-star for many years, fine. And now he's averaging 14, 15 fucking points. And they're still sitting here trying to explain that he's an all-star. And they'll even sit here and go, well, when you look at the fact that his minutes are tied to Rudy Gobert completely, it's hard to... It's it's nonsense. It's just, it's it's obnoxious. It's bullshit. It's garbage. Because all of these people will sit here and they will talk about their favorite players and their this, that, and the other, and they love Kobe Bryant so much. Devin Booker, Devin Booker, I'm not editing that shit. Fuck this, I'm mad. Devin Booker is Kobe fucking Bryant. There's only one guard in today's game who has a back-to-the-basket game on par with the greats from that position. It's Devin fucking Booker. There's only one person in this game today who uses the glass like Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, all in one player. It's Devin goddamn Booker. There's only one player in this game who can score from mid-range, who can score from three, who can score at the rim, who can score back to basket, who can draw a foul. Devin fucking Booker is the man. And you people continue to ignore this kid everyone continues to sit here and say oh he's not this he's not that and i have to sit here and listen and it is enraging it is infuriating zach levine got put into the all-star game okay zach levine who is maybe the worst defensive player of all time got put into well look at how many points he's scoring look at all the points and look at the efficiency (laughs) So again, wins don't matter when it's Zach Levine, but they matter when it's Devin Booker. And it simply doesn't matter what he does. The goalposts are moved every time. And I could go on about this for 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 more fucking hours. And I'm not going to. And I know that there's no universe in which my man D-Book will listen to this. I'm sorry for using your first name, by the way, D-Book. I apologize. I'm angry. I know you want to be referred, especially by people who don't know you, as Book or D-Book. So, D-Book, I apologize. I disrespected you that I didn't mean to. I'm just mad. So, D-Book, I know you won't hear me, but I'm going to put this out into the universe. D-Book. This disrespect is heaped on to the greats. I am a person who has followed Tom Brady for his entire career, dating back to college. And every single year that I have been a fan of Tom Brady, garbage has been heaped on him. Hatred has been heaped on him. Every year that Steve Nash was in Phoenix, hatred and garbage and bullshit was heaped on him. This is simply what it means to be a great, is that people will disrespect you. And in this case... Fans, peers, coaches, everyone has disrespected you. And so I implore you, use this as fuel. Use this as next fucking level fuel to absolutely destroy everyone around you and win the NBA fucking finals MVP. You have all of the talent in the world. You have all of the talent in the world. You have, you've got the mid-range game of Michael Jordan. You've got the the back-to-the-basket game of Kobe Bryant. You've got the the at-the-rim game of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. You're a better shooter than either of them from deep. You face double teams in a way from 35 feet that very few people do outside of, like, Steph Curry. 
ignore all of this hatred. This is you playing at a next level. You are the man that we will call book. And we're going to sit here and call this the book of truth or whatever other kind of puns we can come up with. Don't ever let any of this bullshit bring you down because these people do not understand the talents you have. Bring home a finals MVP. Now I'm going to be at that parade screaming like a psycho. Now, this might be one of my worst rants ever. I don't care. Doesn't mean anything to me. What means something to me is how infuriating it is that I have to continue to sit here and watch people tell me, don't worry, Devin Booker will be an all-star replacement. He shouldn't be a fucking replacement. He is an all-star. And I don't want to hear people say, well, that's why we should expand the rosters. Devin Booker should be an all-star without expanded rosters. And that's it. Before I move back into sports real quick, I just want to say, and this is, well, this is a really dumb commentary and I don't care, but I keep having to suffer through these inspiration for advertisements about sending a civilian to space. And I just want to be really clear with anyone who thinks this is a good idea. Inspiration4 is the brainchild of a rich branding expert and Elon Musk who think it would be a good idea to send you to space on a SpaceX aircraft that has only civilian and non-government oversight. And I'm sure there's some sort of government oversight in relation to civilian trips to space, but um, SpaceX launches an aircraft to space roughly all the goddamn time. And the United States government launches an aircraft to space, what, like once every three years or some shit? So um, if you think the level of oversight in relation to what Elon Musk, the pothead dude who loves crypto, and I'm not trying to criticize anyone who smokes marijuana. Marijuana is phenomenal. I love it very much. And I think that people who have a pothead personality are great. And I think that smoking marijuana is absolutely a phenomenal way to relax. And I think that anyone who is one of the smartest people in the world should be welcome to use marijuana as as a way to relax. I think that's fair. I don't think a douchebag who smokes a bunch of pot and spends all of his time posting tweets that piss off the Securities and Exchange Commission and going on Joe Rogan to brag how cool he is and ignoring his children and blah, 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 should be the spokesman for marijuana and business and should also at the same time be the spokesman for sending people to space. Elon Musk is a person who could be a positive spokesman for all of these things and instead is a douchebag who acts like a fucking douchebag all the time. And anyone who would trust their life to this person is an idiot. And so I would never want to spend this much time complaining about something that I, you know, truly don't care about. But I am positive that if I have seen these inspiration for ads all the time, you have seen them. And I just want you to know this shit is fucking stupid. And the idea that you would never trust your life to a branding genius and a person who is so smart about marijuana that he makes a joke about it in reference to his company going private and is therefore dumber than I am. And I'm 
so dumb that you're listening to me podcast about sports? Don't trust your life to that person? Yeah. Because as intelligent, as fun as I am, I'm very well able to recognize that the fact that I'm willing to post the stupidity of my life daily would imply that I'm probably not secure enough to hoist people to space. And that's fair. I don't want to hoist people to space. That's fine. So you probably shouldn't trust a person with the same personality as me. And yet there are people who apparently want to. (laughs) Don't do that. Lest you are a challenger to history. Because you will be. On a positivity note, Tiger Woods in a car accident today. I hope he's okay. Single car accident on a dangerous hill. It's one of those things where police will come out and say, well, this hill is known for car accidents. So perhaps you could make that hill safer. Seem simple? No? Yeah, I don't know. But I hope the tiger's okay. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and talk about his injuries or whatever or his ability to play in the future, but, um, or his, you know, I don't, don't want to talk about any of those things. I just, I grew up being a huge fan of Tiger Woods. He is someone who I idolized as a child, someone who, you know, if you were a fan of sports, he completed things at an age that made you feel terrible about yourself. You know, he's winning the Masters in high school, and I was mastering smoking pot. But nonetheless, I hope the best. I really hope Tiger's okay. Um, I, you know, I've always, I want Tiger to break the records, and I want him to you know, be Tiger again. And we keep seeing glimpses, but it's a bummer. And I just, I hope the best because this is a dude I've been rooting for since I was a kid. And um, every time he faces one of these setbacks, it's, it sucks. And I just, I hope the best for him. You know, he supposedly, he broke one leg, broke another ankle. Hope he's okay. It just sucks. What can you say? There are a few people who are starting to say that they prefer Zach Wilson to Trevor Lawrence. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with the idea that there are some people who might like Wilson better. That's, you know... Yeah, every every now and then someone says, "Hey, I just like this guy better." That's part of the game of scouting. You're trying to find the flaws, and sometimes you read something wrong or whatever. But we've we've reached a point where it's you know now people are trying to play the game where there are some teams that have Wilson higher than Lawrence on their board, which you know creates podcasts and articles and episodes about you know this that and the other and is. You know, Wilson better than... And he's not. You know. If if Zach Wilson was better than Trevor Lawrence, he wouldn't be playing at BYU while Lawrence was 
you know, guiding, you know, one of the best teams in the nation. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's simple. Um, Lawrence doesn't, <laughs> there, this is not one of the scenarios in which, you know, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have the arm or, you know, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have the ability to read the defense or, you know, Trevor Lawrence can't run. This is not one of those scenarios in which Trevor Lawrence has like a fatal flaw. It's simply not the case. A lot like Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence is, you know, phenomenal college quarterback who, you know, poses the threat to his NFL division of being a, you know, long-term all-pro type. The primary difference between Burrow and uh, Lawrence, of course, is that, you know, Burrow only came on to that status in his last year of his college career, whereas Lawrence has been there essentially since he was a freshman. But there are just a lot of people who are suddenly, well, I don't know about Trevor Lawrence and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, they're floss, but I I just, I grow tired of watching this sort of scenario in which we, we have a clear dude who's like number one for three years or four years. And then coming into the draft, in the four weeks into the draft, suddenly information comes to light that wasn't available in the previous four years. <laughs> like, I just, well, you know, the, the, we, we got to, the coaches got to talk to him and suddenly this information, you know, suddenly he sucks. <laughs> it just, that's how we do this. You study a guy for years and then the NFL pricks who, you know, get a hand, a handle on these kids who haven't been beaten into the ground yet, interview them and make them feel like shit, no matter what they answer. And well, I don't know about, you know, they lose four rounds in the draft. All of this shit is stupid. Like it's, it's really, it's really simple. You look at a player and you ask yourself, does this player have all the physical talent in the world? And if the answer is yes, you check the first box. And then the second box is, do they work harder than anyone around them? And if the answer is yes, then you check that box. And that's great. Now, here's the thing. You very rarely ever meet players who check both those boxes, right? A lot of times you meet a guy who has all the physical talent in the world, but doesn't work. Or you meet a guy who will work his ass off, but has no talent. We all know these things. And we all know that there's a middle ground to those things. But I'll tell you another thing that makes this stuff really simple. When coming into the league, if you can't check that second box, if you can't check the absurd worker box, then that's really the answer to the question. And this has nothing to do with the Wilson versus Lawrence debate. I'm not trying to imply anything A, B there, but we all sit here and talk about this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, etc. But, you know, the simple fact of the matter is, is that Johnny Manziel had all of the talent that Tom Brady didn't, especially when it comes to mobility and all these things. Not that he had a better arm than Tom Brady or whatever, but 
all of the talent that people loved in college is what Johnny Manziel had. And Tom Brady had none of that. And Johnny Manziel is now in something called the fan-controlled football league. And Tom Brady is the best quarterback ever. So, for all the this, that, and the other, the work ethic is everything. And when you're going to sit here and try to tell me, well, Zach Wilson can scramble out of the pocket, and it reminds me of Josh Allen. So, that puts him above Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) Are you serious? Is that a real thing? And the reason I laugh and state that is because that's a thing that people have actually been saying recently. (sighs) Look. I don't care about your footwork. I don't care about your college accolades. I care about your arm strength, but I don't care about your arm strength from top level to mid-level. care about your arm strength from mid-level to not pro. But the simple fact of the matter is, when it comes to the quarterback position, the majority of people who succeed are the hardest workers. And the arm strength thing is important, but look at Peyton Manning. I love Tom Brady more than anyone in the world, and we all know that, but let's look at Peyton Manning for a moment. Peyton Manning is regarded by a lot of people who are incorrect, but as a lot of people believe Peyton Manning is the best quarterback ever. So those people would defend Peyton Manning as the best quarterback ever, fine. But if any of them were to defend Peyton Manning as the strongest arm quarterback ever, that would imply that they know nothing, right? Because Peyton Manning was very good and had an absolute NFL arm. But the idea that he had the strongest NFL arm is just wrong. It's it's just wrong. In fact, coming into the NFL, Peyton Manning had a significantly weaker arm than Ryan Leaf. I don't know if significantly weaker is necessarily the phrase that we want to use, but it was weaker enough that it was mentioned as a difference by scouts coming into the league. Now, everyone agreed that Peyton Manning was a better quarterback prospect than Ryan Leaf, obviously, but no one thought that Peyton Manning had a stronger arm than Ryan Leaf because he didn't, and it's fine. Jamarcus Jamarcus Russell and Kyle Bowler also had cannons. Like, you know, having a cannon doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean everything, but the point is that There's a difference between having a cannon, having an NFL arm, and then just having a college arm or a high school arm, right? You know, and when you have an NFL arm, if you have an NFL arm, work matters more than anything else. Kirk Cousins is actually a phenomenal example of this from the low end. Kirk Cousins has, like, the absolute minimum in terms of what an NFL quarterback arm can be, like... There are some people who would argue that Kirk Cousins isn't an NFL quarterback, and that's fine. Like, I'm not trying to whatever. But in terms of maximizing what you do, there's nobody who maximizes what they do like Kirk Cousins. Like, I mean, I guess Tom Brady. Tom Brady doesn't have the strongest arm ever. Tom Brady isn't, you know, the most physical dude ever. He He's won six Super Bowls. 
I understand that. But what I mean is like Kirk Cousins is like a dude who maybe shouldn't even be in the league. And yet somehow is like a 10 win quarterback. Like, and I'm not trying to, you know, Tom Brady is still, you know, six, two, six, three, six, four, whatever has a big arm. He's still big, has all the prototype, whatever, you know, Kirk Cousins isn't all those things. And so it just, you have guys who work so hard that they maximize what they can do. And by the way, I don't like Kirk Cousins as a person at all. He's believes in all this crazy religious shit. So you can, you can very well believe that this has nothing to do with the fact that other than to do with the fact that I believe Kirk Cousins has maximized himself to the most of his beliefs. And so all of this is a really roundabout, I'm drunk way to point out that coming into the league, all of this stuff about footwork and scrambling and this, that, and the other, who can read a defense? Who's going to work harder? If these people all somehow believe that Zach Wilson is going to work harder, then, you know, fine, whatever. But if you're seriously going to tell me that Trevor Lawrence had the best arm, read the best defenses, was the most accurate, did all of this for all these years, and was the best quarterback prospect in forever, but suddenly that matters less because Josh Allen, who's never won a Super Bowl, scrambles a lot. Like, that's the kind of stuff some of these scouts say. And when you talk about Josh Allen as a reason for a quarterback being better than Trevor Lawrence, you're missing the point. And when you say, well, Patrick Mahomes throws sidearm because he had a baseball thing, you know, you're kind of missing the point. And when you say, well, Russell Wilson is really good at throwing on the run, so maybe Zach Wilson can be too, you're kind of missing the point. And I think that this is one of those things that goes wrong with quarterback evaluation because people will look at one area or they will look at one intangible and they will ignore so many other things. And, you know, let's be completely honest. Let's go through the history. You could draft a quarterback in the first round, second round, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. It's a crapshoot, right? The best quarterback of all time was drafted in the sixth. So it's a crapshoot, right? That's just how the game works. But you're unlikely to draft a failure if you draft a guy who works his ass off. And all of this is to say, I'm not trying to sit here and talk about Lawrence versus Wilson in terms of working their ass off. I don't know them that way. But... If you're going to sit here and tell me that a guy from BYU who has great footwork and is fast should suddenly upend the guy that was listed as the greatest quarterback prospect in a decade, we've missed the point. I think I've been rambling on about this for way too long. On the veteran NFL quarterback front, it seems that Ben Roethlisberger is coming back to Pittsburgh the years and money is not determined at this point, but he met with Steelers ownership or Steelers governorship, as we say on this podcast, at least our managing partnership today and, uh, or yesterday. And apparently those meetings were good. 
We still haven't heard from Drew Brees. Seems he will retire. But interestingly enough, Adam Schefter has said that he believes that if Drew Brees hadn't come back last year, that Tom Brady would have signed with the Saints. And here's the thing. I've actually said to a lot of people who know me that I believe that going into last season, Tom Brady's number one team was the Saints. I believe that to be true. Based on everything I read, I believe that Tom Brady considered Tampa Bay, New Orleans, the Chargers, the Bears, the Colts, and the 49ers. And everyone says that the 49ers were his first choice and he wanted to take over for Garoppolo and all these things. That may have been somewhat true, but the simple fact of the matter is that the 49ers contract situation with Garoppolo heading into last season, like if they had cut him, it would have created this massive dead cap hit that would have fucked the 49ers and it would have made it really difficult for them to compete for a Super Bowl. Maybe Tom didn't care about that, but... You know, I told everyone last season that I long believed that Tom Brady's primary choice was the Saints. And I think that if Drew Brees had retired, he would have gone to the Saints. I think he wanted to play with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I think he wanted to play with Sean Payton. I just, I think those things are true. I just, that's what I believed. Um, And, you know, I think that Drew Brees coming back changed that scenario and, You know, he signed with Tampa Bay. I'm not sure that he necessarily would have chosen the Saints over Tampa Bay. I think that when you look at the talent on Tampa Bay and when you consider the cap situation of Tampa Bay, I think he might have ended up choosing Tampa Bay anyway. Here's the thing. I said this to a bunch of people also. I'm I'm sitting here claiming a bunch of people. I'll bring those people on this podcast if I have to, and they'll corroborate. The point is, Coming into last season, Tampa Bay had literally, and I'm not kidding, like 35,000 in dead cap. 35,000, thousand, thousand, not million, thousand. Tampa Bay had like no dead cap money. And the Saints are in cap hell every year. So I don't doubt that Tom Brady was interested in going to the Saints. But I think that when he got to the table to discuss everything between the Saints and Tampa Bay, I think that Tampa Bay might have won anyway. But I do believe, and I did believe at the time, that, you know, the Saints were like Tom Brady's first option. That he really, really wanted to talk to them first. And now that's basically been corroborated by Adam Schefter. And that, you know, that just matches all the rumors that you heard. Um, And again, I'm not, you know, inventing this information or bringing this up or breaking the, you know, I'm just saying that it matches all the things that I heard and that I believed. And it's interesting because... You know, we all agree at this point that the Patriots were stupid to move on from Tom Brady, right? They shouldn't have done that. Tampa Bay won a Super Bowl. New England didn't even make the playoffs. You know, it's just, it is what it is. So we would all sit here and say, hey, you're dumb for moving on from Tom Brady. But I think that's guiding the moves of some other teams. Like Pittsburgh is saying, hey, we don't want to move on from Big Ben. Look what Tom Brady just did in Tampa Bay. We don't want to cut bait and see Big Ben do that somewhere else. But I think that, like, that's flawed thinking. Like, assuming that everyone can do what Tom Brady did is, well, it's dumb. And I think that it's the flaw that the Saints made, believing that Drew Brees could come back and be effective. The Giants thought that 
you know, Eli Manning could continue to come back and be effective. And it seems now that, you know, Pittsburgh thinks that Big Ben can come back to be effective. It's just interesting because the whole Bill Belichick thing for all the years was you should cut bait with a veteran a year too early instead of a year too late, right? It's better to lose a year of production rather than sign him up for one year of production and, you know, three to four years of failure or whatever. But he also applied that to his legendary quarterback and he tried to apply it three or four times. And despite the fact that he couldn't see like, oh, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. He, you know, he kept doing it anyway. But now it seems that people want to apply the Tom Brady rules to other guys. Well, look at what Tom Brady's done. I should move on. I just, I think that's funny. Um, but I do think it's also interesting. You know, I see people, I saw someone pose the question, um, and you know, forgive me. The question was, you know, would the Saints have won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady? Yeah. You know, anyone would have won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady this year. He's the best. That's kind of the point. And I'm not trying to denigrate how great Tampa Bay's defense is. I love Tampa Bay and I, you know, it's super fun rooting for the Buccaneers. I'm not even trying to, it's just a great team, great fan base, great organization. I'm not trying to take that away. I just, I think Tom Brady elevates any near contender to champion. And I, you know, I think that the Saints missed out on that. And I'll tell you another thing, though. I'm glad Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay over the Saints. I mean, just honestly, like, Tom Brady's going to have a legacy with Tampa Bay. And there's no, you know, trying to compete with Drew Brees. No one wants to do that. And that may have ultimately prevented him from going there anywhere. But he's better than Drew Brees anyway. And there would be no whatever. But, you know, trying to compete with him within the hierarchy of the organization or whatever. Like, it's just dumb. So, it's just interesting stuff. How it'll go throughout history, who knows. But... The way things are shaping up right now, Tom Brady is going to spend 20 years in New England. And then, uh, I mean, looks like a minimum of three years in Tampa Bay, maybe more. I mean, the rumor is, and this again, I'm not making this up. I'm not substantiating or whatever. The rumor is Tom Brady is priming to play until he's 50 years old. That's the rumor. That's the rumor. The rumor is he wants to put in another six to seven years. I'm not the one before it was always age 45, right? And now he's getting closer to that and the way he feels. Just truthfully, winning Super Bowl MVP this year has rejuvenated him, moving on from New England and all of that. I'm not I'm not making this up. I'm not inventing this. The rumor is that he's tacking another five years on to what he wants to play. That's what it is. And so imagine 20 years in New England and eight years in Tampa Bay. It's an interesting thing. And that's that's certainly what it seems to be. Everyone moves on, right? If Tom Brady can move on, everyone can move on. Richard Sherman moved on from Seattle, and now it seems he's moving on from San Francisco. Richard Sherman to Tampa Bay could be a really interesting thing. On like a one-year deal. You gotta love the idea of Richard Sherman and Tom Brady on the same team. That's another guy who, you know, along with J.J. Watt, who could be, you know, a potential veteran signing for Tampa Bay that could be interesting. 
On the quarterback market in the NFL, everyone's talked the Deshaun Watson thing to death. On the Bill Barnwell show, they theorized that Deshaun Watson was essentially worth four first-round picks. I've now seen uh, you know, various chatter that Russell Wilson is worth three first-round picks. You know, again, this sort of depends on who you talk to. Different people have different approximations of picks. Here's my thing. And I'm not saying that these guys aren't worth this. I'm not trying to peg anyone. I'm not trying to attack anyone. So I'm not going to sit here and name names. You said this, you're an idiot. It's not about that at all. When you're considering a scenario in which you're going to pay four, three, four, whatever it is, first round picks for a quarterback, even for guys as good as Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, and they're awesome. And they're both locked into contracts, so you're not having to pay them some big new deal, whatever. And even if you would, it'd be worth it. I understand all those things. But when you consider, like just for a moment, think about what you can get with four first-round picks. You could trade back and get eight second-round picks. And with eight second-round picks, you'd probably be able to find another quarterback. You could move back and, you know, finagle multiple third- and fourth-rounders. And I'm not trying to say that... You should do this, but Russell Wilson was a third rounder, by the way. Tom Brady was a sixth rounder. Antonio Brown was a sixth rounder, I believe. Like, stars are not necessarily only chosen in the first round. And if you're the Texans and someone is offering you four first round picks, which is the equivalent of like, you know, eight second rounders or what, 12 third rounders or whatever, like, you're starting to reach a point where you have the ability to fill all the gaps in your team with quality players. Because they're giving you so much talent. Like, you can't replace Deshaun Watson. And I understand that if you're the Texans. Like, there's no way to trade 75 cents on the dollar. Like, I get that. But if someone's offering you four first-round picks, like, yeah, I, you know, it's it's 50 cents or 75 cents on the dollar or whatever. I just, whatever phrase I just mangled. But you have the opportunity to turn it into more than that. Because, you know, the NFL especially, it's all about taking shots, right? You take eight shots on guys in the first two rounds and you come up with three star players from your one star player trade. If one of them's a quarterback, that's a home run. And I'm not saying that you should be in the business of trading star quarterbacks. I'm not trying to say that the Texans or Seahawks should be in the business of trying to trade Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. But when we're at the point where... Everyone in the world is theorizing what it would take for different teams to get these players. When we're at the point that, you know, Deshaun Watson puts for football inquiries in his Twitter profile and everyone knows he doesn't want to go to the Jets because he hates the organization, but he's very interested in the Dolphins. And when we're at the point where Russell Wilson is going on national radio and is trying to imply that he has no clue what the Seahawks plans are. And then we get, you know, tip that Russell Wilson is potentially interested in being traded to the Patriots. When all of these things occur, when the hints come out and the, you know, the agents leak this and the teams leak this and it's negative and positive and uh, when all these things occur, I hate to be cliche, but where there's smoke, there's fire. And we know Deshaun Watson is going somewhere. I didn't think Russell Wilson was going anywhere, but now I'm starting to think so. And when you don't want to trade a player because you love them so much, but you haven't won a championship in the case of the Texans, or you haven't won a championship in a while in the case of the Seahawks, 
I think getting so much draft capital that you could reshape the core of your offense and defense is probably enough to justify those things. If you got four first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, you are capable, no matter where those first-round picks are, you are capable of literally acquiring two second-rounders for all of those first-round picks, probably. If it's at the absolute back end of the first round, maybe not. But if they're all at the absolute back end of the first round, you should probably get five. If they're all pick 32 somehow, right? The point is, you can maximize those picks. And when you are nowhere near competing, it is probably smart to do that. If I were the Seahawks, I'm not trading Russell Wilson. You can find a way. If I'm the Texans, I'm absolutely trading Deshaun Watson. There is no way. And first round, four first round picks is the floor. And whoever comes up with the best four first round picks wins because I can take those four four first round picks and flip them. Now, the interesting thing is Casario comes from the Belichick school. And so he definitely knows this. And by posturing that he doesn't want to trade Deshaun Watson, he thinks he's increasing the price. And he thinks he can flip all these guys and he's the smart dude and Belichick was whatever. You know, we've seen this a million times. The Texans will fail. The Seahawks will probably still continue to succeed. Good organizations with good owners or, excuse me, good managing partners continue to be that way. The McNair family continues to control the Texans, so they'll probably continue to suck. It is what it is. But were you going to trade a franchise quarterback? Getting so much draft capital that you could reset the entire team. That's that's where you make that trade. That's why the Rockets made the Harden trade. That's why the Pelicans made the Anthony Davis trade. And those NBA style trades are coming to the NFL. And Deshaun Watson will be at the absolute forefront of that for sure. And finally, closing out on some NBA news. Boogie Cousins waved from the Rockets. Who knows where he'll end up at this point. Um, there was early speculation it could be the Lakers. It seems like that won't be the case. You feel bad for Boogie. Um, Boogie was a guy who... You know, I mean, we all know the head case, whatever, but he was an all-pro player, an all-pro type talent. And he really, he and AD really had it figured out that year in, in, in New Orleans. It was going well. And then Boogie gets injured. And it, it it's just a bummer. It's a bummer how it all worked out. And... You know, Boogie's another guy who never got, you know, he got his first contract, but he never got, you know, the major NBA payday because he just kept getting injured. It, you know, he got, he got like a five-year $80 million. And, you know, I would, I would love to have $80 million in my life. I'm not trying to, you know, we would all kill for that. But, you know, in terms of guys who, had a bummer injury problem at a bad time in the NBA hierarchy. Um, Boogie Cousins 
got one of the worst raw deals out there for sure and not really sure where it goes at this point his name is too big i don't think that he's going to be out of the league or anything um but it's you know i think boogie's going to have to take some time right now to figure out how he can be a role player in this league because He's never going to be a starter again. He's never going to be a major impact player again. He's never going to be who he was. How do you reinvent yourself as a role player? Because Boogie is still young enough. Like He's still young enough that he can turn things around and be a major contributor. He's still got so much talent. But you've got to figure it out now. And it sucks if you're him. It, it just does. But you got to figure out how you fit into this league. And, you know, I just, I hope the best for him. I see some people, you know, mentioning him for the Suns. The Suns need a rim protector. That's not Boogie's thing. Maybe it could be in a couple years. Again, get Svelte, you know, work a little bit on the side-to-side motion. I don't know. I just, it sucks. It, It sucks. It sucks. I don't, it sucks. I don't know. If it didn't work with John Wall, though, I don't, I don't know where it's gonna work. I hate to be that guy. It's just, it's a bummer. It's sad. Speaking of the Suns potentially signing Boogie, the Suns also waived Damian Jones again. The Suns need a rim protector. You go through and you look who's out there. It's nobody. There are theoretically guys who might become available if they're bought out, and the Suns might be a premium destination for those. You look through the free agents. It's like. I'd honestly love to sign Jonah Bolton. I actually wanted the Suns to sign Jonah Bolton over Damian Jones before the season. So, I mean, there's there's still that theoretical possibility. But, like, truthfully, like, if you go sit there and look at who's available, there's no, like, like Tyson Chandler's fifth. You know what I mean? It's, there's no rim protectors. And that's really, truly what the Suns need. The only guys who might theoretically be available would be available via trade. I don't know of anyone who the Suns could really acquire. I don't know of any you know scenarios in which they can give someone up so I mean as far as the Suns rim protection goes Aiton, Sarich, Kaminsky and you know theoretically Sticks are just gonna have to figure out ways to improve it I mean it just is what it is at this point I will say if the Suns do sign anyone to that spot I would expect it to be a big but it's also a possibility that they keep that spot open if they make a trade I don't really I mean, maybe the Suns will make a trade. Um, That would theoretically imply that they were going to trade two for three. Like, they're going to trade two people for three people, so they need to have a roster spot open. But I don't really see the Suns trying to increase their depth. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, We have a ton of depth already. So I think the most likely scenario is that the Suns look for a big and this is also a scenario in which you know i mean damien jones i believe he got cut right before his contract was guaranteed so i mean there could be a scenario in which damien jones come back later in the season on a non-guarantee or what i there are many different scenarios who knows but the suns do need to figure out how to shore up the rim protection most likely their only options are going to be internally but if they go to the buyout market or whatever Rim protection is is gotta be where they go.
the Lakers are skidding a little bit lately, and I see a lot of people are wanting to make a big deal about that. <laughs> I was the biggest Lakers pessimist coming into this season. I said that Marcus Gasol would be terrible. That's been true. I said that Wesley Matthews would be terrible. That's been true. I said that Taylor Horton Tucker would be more important to the team than Wesley Matthews. That's been true, and yet they still haven't been playing him. But the point is, I was a bigger Lakers pessimist than most, and yet I still believed they were overwhelming favorites. I've never wavered from that belief, and now despite the fact that I, a person who hates the Lakers, have believed in that team, they're now having fans jump off the bandwagon. Like, <sighs> the Lakers are fine. It's ridiculous, and I hate having to sit here and talk about this, but let's just be really clear about where we are in the season, how difficult the season is in a pandemic, how difficult the back-to-backs and the three games and four and blah, blah, blah. I do think that I was correct that the Lakers' offseason moves weren't as good as everyone anticipated. I think that has been proven. That's fine. But I think it's one of those things where I'm sitting here splitting hairs, and I'm saying, hey, There's some split ends here. And everyone else is telling me there's no split ends. Everything is perfect. And then things go wrong and everyone's like, oh, my God, no. These aren't split ends. This is a wig. And I'm like, no, it's not a wig. It's just split ends. It's okay. You can fix it. And everyone's like, no, no, no. This is a wig. We need to burn the whole thing down. And I don't know why I came up with the whole wig and split ends thing. But I think it's actually a pretty good way of describing it because... I'm trying to sit here and tell everyone the Lakers are not perfect. They're a good team. There are some flaws. They should probably be able to overcome them. I think that's a fair way to describe that team. Now that they've hit their flaws, everyone's like, oh, they can't overcome them. They need to play. <sighs> it's very upsetting for me to have to be the voice of reason in relation to the Lakers. I hate it. I hate it a lot. I will probably be the 1500th person to comment on this and I'm completely fine about that because it still needs to be said. The Timberwolves hiring Chris Finch in the middle of a season after firing their coach is absurd. And here's the thing. Everyone is sitting here and saying that the Timberwolves hiring Chris Finch in the middle of a season who was an assistant coach for the Raptors so they're hiring an assistant coach midseason from another team. That's crazy. But they're hiring a white assistant coach from another team over a black assistant coach from their team. Everyone is saying that's racist, and they're correct. Everyone is also pointing out that Chris Finch still deserved the job, and that's correct, and that's fine. Chris Finch deserves a job. David Vanterpool deserves a job. It is racist that Chris Finch was hired from another team in a midseason. All of these things can be true. But I'd like to submit that everyone is missing the problem. And yes, the fact that Chris Finch was hired is the problem and David Vanterpool was skipped over is the problem. Those things are absolutely true. The problem is actually that Ryan Saunders was hired in the first place. Okay? Ryan Saunders was hired because his father, Flip Saunders, meant a lot to Minnesota. Flip Saunders had a history as not only a coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, but as a GM. He was the coach of their best teams of the Kevin Garnett, Stefan Marbury, Latrell Sprewell years. He was the GM and coach in his later years, and unfortunately he passed away. 
But Ryan Saunders grew up in that organization and they loved him because of his relationship to his father. And it was a big deal when he was hired. And unfortunately, he had no business getting the job. I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be harsh. But the simple fact of the matter is that your last name does not qualify you to be an NBA coach. And that's the actual problem with the Timberwolves is that the Chris Finch thing is a compounding of a bigger problem in that you can have all of the credentials in the world. You can be the best, most talented assistant coach. You can have all the experience. You can have played with guys and you can have taught other guys and you can have coached under other guys. And all of these things can be true. And the simple fact of the matter is that your last name is not the last name of someone who was important to this organization. And that's where the line ends for you. So as bad as the Chris Finch hiring is, the real problem is that the Timberwolves had to fire a coach in the midseason because they hired a guy who never should have been hired in the first place. That's the actual problem. Let's be very clear about this. Gerson Rosas, the Timberwolves GM, is completely overmatched and has done a horrible job since he has taken over. Awful. Obs, just awful job. There's there's no other way to look at it. He traded away Andrew Wiggins and a pick to acquire D'Angelo Russell. That trade has been a train wreck. He hired Ryan Saunders. That trade has been a train wreck. And he passed on LaMelo Ball for Anthony Edwards. It's really early to call that one a bust. I'm not even necessarily willing to do it. But if we're going to sit here and pile on, all his choices are bad ones. Sure, he drafted Jordan McLaughlin, but he also gave Malik Beasley a huge contract. Like, there's just, not that Malik Beasley is bad, but, you know, the Timberwolves can't win any games. Like, everything that he has done to build a team around Carl Anthony Towns has not worked. Now, we sure do need to qualify all of these things. Carl Anthony Towns is undergoing and the number of people that he has lost to COVID in his family is it's depressing and it's sad and it's horrible. And none of these things are jokes and we don't need to make light of what's going on with Carl Anthony Towns. It's awful. I, it's it's heartbreaking, really. He's a good person, and it's hard to watch. And I, it's I don't I don't want to talk about those things. But outside of Carl Anthony Towns, there are other NBA players on this roster, and they don't win, and they've never been able to win. And Ryan Saunders was simply just over. I mean, overmatched doesn't even begin to describe it. He was nowhere near qualified to be an NBA head coach. That's, that's just all it is. And it sucks for him because his dream job was head coach of the Timberwolves. And, you know, never get your dream job before you're ready. It just, it sucks. I'm not trying to be hard. I, I hate the situation, but it just is what it is. But the greater problem than Chris Finch getting the job is that Ryan Saunders never should have had it in the first place. And the qualification for being an NBA head coach or an NBA executive the number one qualification is having someone's last name. And I know that we all sit here and talk about the good old boys club, blah, blah, etc. But it's really fucking true still. This is 2021 and it's still the case. And you can still get a job because you know somebody. 
And in a league where the majority of players are black, black assistant coaches can't get a chance because the Minnesota Timberwolves have an affinity for the sun of it just, you know, it's, it's bullshit. It's not fair. It's wrong. And people are going to attack Chris Finch and that sucked for him because, you know, he's been a grinder and he's worked his way up and it's not that he necessarily doesn't deserve this job, but like the Timberwolves had a guy in David Vanterpool on their bench. When you fire a coach midseason, you promote a guy on your bench. You don't hire someone else. It like never happens. It's bullshit. It's just, it's a bullshit move. And I'm not some David Vanterpool expert. I don't know if he'll be a great coach. This is not something like where I was sitting here trying to champion Steven Silas because I believed in Steven Silas. I don't know David Vanterpool. So it's it's nothing about that. So again, the David Vanterpool, Chris Finch thing, it sucks. It does. But it's the greater problem is that the coach who was hired in the first place was wrong. And from what I understand... David Vanterpool was up for the job in the first place. So they chose the guy with the name potentially over the guy who should have gotten the job and then did it again. It just, there's just an even greater problem than this problem. And that is that if you are a white person with the last name of someone who is famous in the NBA, you'll get a job you don't deserve. And we all know that the good old boy club is a problem. But it shouldn't persist into 2021. And the best people for the job should get the job. And none of this is trying to slander Ryan Saunders. It's not specifically aimed at him. But he never deserved the job that he got. Anyone who watched that knew it. And now the Timberwolves have made it worse. (laughs) It's just hard to watch. It's just hard to watch and it just sucks. I don't, I don't, it just, I, I just, as a white person, I just really wish other white people would pay attention. I scream at them, but they don't listen. And I just, it's, it just, you know, white people will sit here on diversity panels and they'll say there's a problem in our league and we need to do this, that, and the other and blah, blah, blah. And then they fire black coaches and black GMs and hire white ones. That's just the truth about all these sports leagues is everyone sits here and, you know, has a really good quote for the media. And then they do the exact opposite. And I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I shouldn't even be the one talking about this, but I don't, It upsets me. It just, it does. I don't, I don't know what else to say. It's upsetting. And finally, I had an idea. I just wanted to post. (laughs) I go on the NBA Ringer Facebook group. Facebook sucks. We all know that. But I go on the NBA Ringer Facebook group and I post these sort of inflammatory takes because people on Facebook just can't help themselves. And you just go on you know, Ringer, which is a, you know, great NBA and pop culture and NFL podcast company. But you just go on their Facebook group and you post something that's a little bit, you know, 
or do you just, you know, I, I, like, I just go on there and I post like DeAndre Ayton should be in the running for defensive player of the year. Like, I don't even say he should win, but you just put something that's probably questionable. And for days, people will get angry about it. It's just really fun. And for once, I did decide to actually post something for real on there because I thought people would think I was messing with them. And, <laughs> and some people have in any case. I love the NBA. Everyone who knows me knows I love the NBA. I watch basketball all the time, but there are still a few things we need to fix. And seeing everything that's going on in the league, I just figured, hey, I'm going to post a few of these things and see how people feel about them. And then I decided, hey, let's go ahead and repeat these on here because fuck the Ringer NBA Facebook group. I got a podcast to talk about here. So these are essentially the ideas that I think would make the NBA better at this point. These are five of them. These are probably the five most important in my mind. Number one, and by the way, not in any order. So, yeah. Number one, put the Elam ending into the game. Um, I've already kind of gone over what the Elam ending is. It basically eliminates the fouling bullshit at the end of games and puts in a scenario in which teams have to play defense. So I want the Elam ending, so let's put that in there. Number two. Eliminate the max contract, but keep the salary cap. I believe I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems in the NBA is that the max contract creates an artificial inflated salary negotiating point for the best player on a team. Because what it does essentially is the best player on a bad team is able to say, hey, I'm the best player on this team. I'm your max player. You need to give me a max contract. And that's how you end up with Jamal Murray making the same money as LeBron, etc. So that stuff shouldn't be, and it needs to be fixed. And the best way to fix that is simply to remove the max contract, to allow teams to freely sign players to whatever contracts they want to, with the exception that they keep the salary cap. So it's a lot like the NFL. Whereas, you know, Major League Baseball has no salary cap. They have a luxury tax, but they have no salary cap. You can sign as many players as you want. Um, but in the NFL, there's a salary cap, but no max. And I think that's the perfect way for the NBA because think about this. If LeBron's a hundred million dollar player and Katie's a hundred million player and James Harden is a hundred million dollar player, you know, suddenly these guys can't all be on the same teams and you know, not everyone's a hundred million dollar player. Giannis is a hundred million dollar player. But, you know, the mid-tier guys aren't able to inflate their salaries based on a max at that point. They're simply able to negotiate whatever the most anyone is able to give them. And it would change the game. And it would spread out the top talent. And it would create a scenario a lot more like the 80s and 90s where all the best players had their own team. And everything was sort of built around them. And they would go against each other in the playoffs. And I would, you know, prefer that. I know there's some arguments against it from mid-tier players and whatnot. I don't care. I, it's a league I would prefer. I also think we should bring back the five game first round. I'm not the first person to say this. A lot of people believe it, but simple fact of the matter is that when the first round is only five games instead of seven, it's a lot more likely to generate an upset. And if you beat a better team three times out of five, you deserve an upset. You know, over time, the better team is obviously going to win more games. If we make every series five out of nine, the best teams are going to win five out of nine, right? So, you know, what's the point? 
So bringing back the first round where we have more upsets, those you know three to two upsets in the five game first now first round, just better for the league because if you are close to the playoffs and you know that you have the opportunity in a five game series, a lot of teams are just going to compete really hard for those things. It's just going to change the game a little bit. Anything you can do to make the teams that are looking from the outside into the playoffs, anything you can do to make them try harder instead of tanking, that's a smart thing. And this is one of those things that would do that. We need two new expansion teams. Um, There's too many good players in the world that are not part of this league. Um, We need to increase the all-star teams. We need to increase the, you know, number of teams. So Seattle deserves the Sonics. Let's bring them back. Let's put a team in Vegas. They've already got an arena. We know Vegas can support a team. And then you just move either New Orleans or Memphis to the Eastern Conference. It's really simple. Not a big deal. Should be done. And then finally, the last thing is we need to focus on gambling when it comes to injury reports. If the NBA is going to sit here and promote FanDuel, and they're going to sit here and promote DraftKings, and they're going to sit here and promote gambling, then they need to standardize their injury reports. Game time decisions need to be removed. And I know that guys love to come out and shoot around and make a decision. If I have to gamble on games... There shouldn't be a five-minute window where I have to make that choice. No more game time decisions. It should be simply removed, okay? If you're not ready to play the game an hour beforehand, you're not in the game. That's it. I should have at least an hour before the game to make a gambling decision. If the league is going to partner in gambling and is going to make gambling a part of their business model, then they simply have to make injuries known to us. I understand the whole HIPAA thing. I understand all that. But if I'm going to gamble on the teams, I need to know who's fucking playing and who's healthy. No more game time decisions. No more last minute. If you're not healthy an hour before the game or even two hours, if you're not healthy in a specific time frame, you don't play. And that's it. Because this league has been... This league has been a nightmare to gamble on this season because of the pandemic and last-minute scratches and all these things. And this season is going to be that way because of the pandemic, but it can't continue that way forever. The the phrase game-time decision absolutely must be removed. It's done. We're not doing that anymore. Really, truthfully, I should know three hours before a game who's playing. I should know three hours before a game who's playing because three hours gives me ample time to do the necessary research and necessary work. Okay? So, three hours. That's really what it should be. I will accept a minimum of one hour. But this whole, well, he's going to go out and see how he feels in warm-ups. No. If my money is going to get gambled on a team, then it needs to be decided beforehand. Those dudes are financially secure. I don't give a shit about their money. I care about mine. Make them fucking announce the injury status of teams early. And that's the Blood Doctor Show. Peace to you. Agree with me. Peace to me. Agree with you. Let's all have a good 2021. Let's all live well. Love. Love.